up close with Carlos Sang, celebrating art, entertainment and the human spirit. Uh, welcome to another episode of Up Close with Carlos Sang. I am so excited to be able to introduce our next guest. She has been dazzling audiences in London for the past 30 years in productions of Women of Troy, Heather Gabler, Henry V, and is now about to return to the Donmar Warehouse for a brand new production of Watch on the Rhine. Uh, it is an absolute privilege to be able to introduce Kate Deschen. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, yeah, so you were recently at the Donmar Warehouse um, for Henry V. Um, what made you want to come back so quickly for Watching the Rhine? Oh, I, well, I love these small spaces, though we'll talk about that later. I think it's quite deceptive. You, it actually is harder to play than you first imagine. It feels like a small room, but it's not a small room. But it, it feels so intimate. I think that's why audiences love it, too. And I started off professionally at, a, at the old Travers Theatre in Edinburgh, which also felt like a small room. And at that time it was very, um, it was run on a wing and a prayer. And I remember, I remember sometimes sleeping in the paint shed and some, you know, stuff like that and nearly getting asphyxiated by the fumes and stuff, but it was just wonderful. I love those intimate spaces. Yeah, I mean, the Donmore House is also, you know, renowned as one of London's top producing houses. Um, what do you think it is that makes this theatre so special? Well, I don't know. I suppose it's the people who've run it, the choices they've made of what to put on and the people they've got to do the shows, you know. Yeah, it's, it's just the quality of the work that's put on. Plus, this feeling, I think, there's a very loyal audience that people feel involved in the show. Sometimes, I mean, big theatres are great for different sorts of productions and events, but sometimes you do feel quite detached, don't you, at the top of the back of the Royal Circle, and you don't really get that feeling at the Donmar. Though I always try to imagine that my great-auntie Edna, who of course doesn't exist, is in the very top corner of the Donmar just to remember that we have to reach her you know because otherwise you can there's a danger you can get too intimate and forget about people I think mm, yeah I think there's something really special about the Donmar you know there is that intimacy but there's there also that aspect which feels really epic as well you know yeah. staging things in there um you know how do you think this will lend itself to this production of Watch on the Rhine too well I think that's very interesting what you say about it being epic because this is it's really hard to talk about this play because it's a thriller. So I feel I overshare. So I don't want to overshare the plot, but it's about epic themes. And it's about a family returning home set in 1940. They're returning to an American house um, from Germany in 1940. The great thing about it, it is that it was written by Lillian Hellman, so it's also genuinely funny and has the great Patricia Hodge being very, very funny and some wonderful, wonderful actors in it. And um, I think it's going to be great because it feels very domestic, which suits the theatre. It's all in one room. And yet, as you say, it has this epic 
dimension, which of course Henry V did too, because that was we we staged battles in the Donmar, you know. <laughs> so I think Watch on the Rhine's going to be very special mm. and very intimate and sort of mind expanding at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I think this is your first time doing a Lillian Hellman play as yeah. well. Um, you know, what do you think, you know, makes her work, you know, stand out from other writers that you've um, read before as an actress too? Well, she's very, very funny. As I say, this juxtaposition, you don't often get the sort of wisecracks. I don't know much about this period, the 1940s or drama in the 1940s, but the the image I have in my head is sort of film noir, the, the, the Maltese Falcon and stuff like that, sort of thrillers. I don't even know if that is film noir, actually, it isn't really. But, you know, those thrillers in America. And actually, uh, the Maltese Falcon was written by Dashiell Hammett, who was Lillian Helmer's, Hellman's partner. And she works in that, in that frame, in that frame of thriller wise cracky thriller but with enormous political themes she was a communist she wasn't allowed to say she was a communist at that time but you don't have to know that to love this play because she's talking about activism obviously she was anti-nazi mm. um she was writing the play to try to get the americans into the war essentially so she has this epic mission mm. inside a domestic drama, a wisecracky domestic drama. So I find her fascinating. I find, I didn't know much about her before I did this play. I knew about Dorothy Parker, who she knew, who, who was a friend of hers, but I didn't know much about Lillian Hellman. And she was a woman in the 40s who said, no, I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to have kids. I am doing something else. And she worked as a screenwriter in Hollywood. She, she was amazing. She, mm. she really blazed a trail. And I know and people say that so often, but I really feel that quite deeply about her. I think she, she wasn't pretty, mm. as in, you know, conventionally pretty. She was someone who made her own way on her own terms, wasn't put off by what convention told her to do. I just think she's great. And I know, you know, my mum was a, a journalist in the 50s in England. And that was, even in the 50s, that was quite a big deal not to be married, not to be at home, not to be you know, being a teacher or something, all fantastic professions, but things that as a woman you had to be, really. You were quite restricted, even in the 50s. And Lillian Hellman was doing in the 30s and 40s. She was amazing. Yeah. It was much harder than we now remember, I think. And this play reflects that. She wrote memoirs, one of which I like. I haven't read them, I'm afraid. I haven't had time yet, but... One of her memoirs is called A Difficult Woman. <laughs> I, love that. I love that you call your own memoir A Difficult Woman. I think she probably was, mm. but so what? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, she sounds like a really fascinating woman. Um, yeah, I feel like, was. yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like, you know, um, our best um, understanding of watching the Ryan as well, you know, was probably came from the film, you know, starring Betty Davis, you know, back in the yeah, 1950s. I haven't seen it. Um, nor have I. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, how familiar were you with um, watching the Ryan before you started working? Not on the at all. I'd never heard of it. I'd never heard of it. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd heard of The Little Foxes and I'd heard vaguely of Children's Hour, mm. both of which I think, as I understand it, I still haven't read them. Forgive me. There's a lot going on in life. <laughs> <laughs> I do do my research, but I don't do as much as I want to. But from what I understand, Little Foxes takes on the small theme of capitalism mm. and um, Children's Hour takes on the small theme of um, of relationships, heterosexual or homosexual relationships, as it would have been framed in that time. So she always tackles these epic issues. I think it's extraordinary. And, and here in Watch on the Rhine, she's literally tackling fascism, activism, when you act, the price of action, who takes action, who doesn't, the reasons why. It's, it, she's great. Yeah, they're all really interesting themes. Um, I mean, in the show as well, you're playing um, Anise, um, the maid. Um, what can yeah. you tell us about um, this role as well, this character, and what drew you to this part? Well, I like playing her partly because I feel I'm sort of playing my grandmother, <laughs> who, was, who was French. And um, Anise is very sharp and not an easy woman, I would say quite sharp and funny I like her but again one thing I like about the whole play is the lack of fixation on on marriage and you know having to fit into a conventional cadre framework and she's an unmarried woman she's a housekeeper really I think and like many servants of that time or how I imagine many servants of that time in a slightly reduced household that has been very big with many a big staff and now there are fewer she's become actually sort of part of the family so you're sort of part of the family and you're sort of still not mm. you're still a servant and all those things were quite intriguing and I liked the play. I like being part of something that I find really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you also previously worked with Ellen McDougall in 2010 on Beauty and the Beast with Katie Mitchell. Yes, um, that's right. Yes. Uh, what has it been like, you know, working together again and this, you know, new dynamic on this new exciting oh, revival? Lovely. Ellen's fantastic. She's um, she's very, very patient with us all. And, uh, <laughs> Very, very kind and very patient, but really particular and and clear about how she feels the arc of the story should develop. So that's great. Mm. It's really good. Yeah, I was so interested in your previous podcast with Dawn King, who's now working with Katie. In uh, you Germany. listen to that? Yeah, on the oh. cherry orchard. Because I talked to Katie before about, she said she was doing the cherry orchard, which... Mm. 
I've done with Katie, but from the point of view of the trees, mm. it's just so fantastic. <laughs> so fantastic. And so, so out there because, um, yeah, it was just so interesting to hear her talk about it. I loved working. I've, I've loved working with Katie all, all those times. I love yeah. Beauty and the Beast, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you've worked, you know, you're working along a very impressive cast as well on this um, show, you know, with Patricia Hodge, as you mentioned, Caitlin Fitzgerald. Yeah. Um, what has experience like, you know, being in rehearsal so far? Absolutely terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> no, it hasn't at all. I mean, it's great. It's just a group of people making a story. I mean, it never, it never gets um, hierarchical in this way that, I think screen work can sometimes. Mm. We've also got the most amazing actor from Germany, Mark Raschke, who's just fantastic, stupendous. And um, yeah, it's, it's going to be very exciting. And loads of very good kids. I say that with a forgive a slight tone of surprise. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Or, of course, they're fantastic. They're very good. Um, it's just sometimes, well, the kids we have are just actors. They're very professional and clear about what they're doing. It's gonna, I think it's going to be very exciting. The other thing is, it's not, um, I get the impression that it's not going to be a production where everyone settles down into doing exactly the same thing every night. And I think we'll still be playing. It'll still be very alive. Mm. I mean, yeah, you've also, um, you know, worked very extensively in theatre over the last 30 years, you know, at the National Theatre with Katie Mitchell, you know, at the RSC and in other theatres as well. Um, you know, how much would you say the industry has changed too over th your career? Oh, I'm not, I'm not a very good person to ask that question to because when I'm either, I never really, I very rarely go to the theatre because I go and see things that friends are in, but I'm either doing theatre or I'm at home being a mum and stuff. And yeah, I, I don't see that much theatre. So I only know about what I've done or what my mates are in. <laughs> but the good, great thing about theatre is that there's a certain baseline that you all come to, which is about being in a room, making a story. I mean, that's that's essentially all you're going to be doing and in whatever form, even if you're using video or dance or sound or not conventional theatre, you're still there in a room trying to tell a story as clearly and communicatively, of course, as possible. And the thing about theatre that I love is that I've always felt it was like a dinner party. You know, you can go to dinner parties or go to have supper with mates and sometimes you have a fantastic time and everybody's sparking off each other and sometimes it's the same people but it's just more ordinary and I think theatre, live theatre has that quality. It's about the live communication between you and the audience and obviously you want to make it always the great dinner party but it's about the actual electricity in the air and that never changes. I suppose what has changed outside and certainly in screen work is um, that now we all do these, I mean, this is a trivial thing, but it feels very different. We all do self-tapes 
the screen work. So essentially you're taping yourself in your airing cupboard or wherever you've set up your studio and then sending it into the void and you may never meet anybody at all, which is quite odd. Mm. I find that quite odd, I must say. So it's great theatre, you don't have that so much. Yeah, I think it's definitely interesting as well. Um, just seeing um how many, how much more women as well there are in you know writing and directing oh, in theatre yes. compared to on screen. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, totally yeah. Right. Uh, why do you think that is as well? Well, I think quite a lot of it's down to people like Katie who always took on women assistants, women. I mean, the world has changed so much from when I started. I mean, I remember quite a lot of, with certain directors, I remember quite a lot of bullying, quite a lot of sexism, mm. stuff that now would simply not be countenanced, certainly not at the Donmark, quite a lot of racism. Actually, I don't think I actively saw racism, but I'm sure it was around, even in the casting, it was around. And um, of course, around in the world and those things and there's a a real effort now in the theatre world to I want to say I can't find the right word not to iron out not to eliminate but to to combat or not even to combat but to make sure that's irrelevant Mm. all those things are irrelevant because that's how it should get Do you know what I mean? Mm. And um, I find that very heartening. And um, I like that immensely. And even for a middle-class, middle-aged white woman, I I notice a difference in atmosphere that I really appreciate. There's less... hmm, What is it? There was always a certain... I don't know. It feels less tense now. Mm. There's a certain tension that I'm not even sure I was aware of that is going now which is brilliant yeah absolutely it definitely feels like a friendlier space whenever I go to theatres as well um I've also recently been taking some time to re-watch some old episodes of The Worst Witch and bless you (laughs) and and, I mean I have to say I mean your Miss Hardbroom is still such a highlight um do people still approach you on that at all yes they really, <laughs> yes, they really do. I'm always amazed because loads of other people have done done her, and but I loved playing her. She was great. Um, yeah, a friend of mine said you get to appear and disappear and do spells. What's not to like? That's what we all went into acting for, and uh, yeah, I do. I was very big amongst the under eights for a while. I loved I loved playing it though. It was such fun. Yeah, um, we very sadly lost um, Jill Murphy last year as well as no, the amazing Una Stubbs as well who you worked uh, alongside. Um, what memories do you have working alongside her too? Oh, you know, it was fun. Wow, she was just wonderful. She'd been a dancer and um, she was just full of light and love and warmth and she was quite. She was a bit like Miss Bat, her persona. In, in um, I mean, she was not quite as eccentric, but <laughs> she was sort of twittery, a bit twittery. And but actually, 
well, she had great substance, of course, and great steel in her, but her persona was sort of light and bubbly and always full of generosity. And she did have an eccentric side. I remember, I remember her saying that she brought up her kids and sometimes they'd have meals the wrong way round just to have a change. They'd have pudding and then the main course and then the starter. And she said, and sometimes, darling, we had blue custard. <laughs> <laughs> She'd put blue into the custard. She's great. She's just so, so lovely. So lovely to work with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another, you also got to play another teacher as well in an education as well, a couple of years oh, yeah. later as well. Um, you know, and that was at the start of Carrie Mulligan's career as well. Um, yeah. Did yeah. you imagine? Did you were you surprised? You know, when you saw you know how big her career ended up being afterwards? Um, no, I I, wa- I wasn't. I mean, she's very good, and it's you know, it's quite a haphazard profession. This one, you never know. You know, there are many fine actors and you never know who's suddenly going to become a film star or anything. But no, I wasn't surprised. She was fantastic in that. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, she was. It was a wonderful film as well. Um, yeah. 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 I... <laughs> um, yeah. Are there um, are there any young actors, you know, working today you know, who you see as being part of the next generation of, you know, acting greats too? Oh, Lordy, Lordy. There are many. I, I sort of don't want to say because I know so many that if I mention any, I'm going to I'm going to tread on someone else's toes. But if plucking them out of my head, I love Sinead Matthews, Danny Killeen. There are loads of people I'd say mm. are fantastic. Yeah, Actually, that- they're not that young, but they are <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, and you've gotten to play so many incredible roles yourself, you know, from Hecuba in um, Women of Troy to Miss Hardbloom. Oh, God, that nearly killed me. Hecuba nearly <laughs> killed me. And God, you must mention God. For six months, mm. I was able to go around. People would, some friends would say, are you working at the moment? I'd say, yes, I'm God at the National. That was a good <laughs> six months. Oh, well, yes, of course. Um, yeah, and, you know, yeah, looking back over your career, you know, have there been any roles which have been particularly stayed with you as well, you know, that have, you know, perhaps changed you in any way too? Yeah, yeah. Definitely Clytemnestra in um, Iphigenia, which we did at the Abbey Theatre in Dublin, and then at the National, which Katie directed, Katie Mitchell, and then again Hecuba in Women of Troy, which was great but also really I found difficult um, because it was about genocide and brutality and assault and rape. And, and I found it hard going there. I mean, we, we all know those things happen in the world and we can, I think, all too easily imagine them and that's why we often switch off the news because sometimes you can't take it on board and so having to imagine it I I find quite yeah it takes over your life sometimes which is not good uh, but I love I did love the production I'm very glad to have done it let's put it like that but if someone came back and said would you like to play Hecuba again? I might say no. Um, I love playing Miss Hardbroom. Miss Hardbroom changed me too. And I got to know all sorts of 
young, fantastic young people doing that. Yeah, I think I think almost the part where I learned most was Clytemnestra mm-hmm. in Iphigenia at Aulis because she has such an amazing arc in that play. I love Euripides. I don't know much about Aeschylus and Sophocles, but I love Euripides. I think I think he's the real basis of plays we have today because he he deals with human relations even though the gods are still in there his emphasis it seems to me is quite political and very much uh human based and Clytemnestra in Iphigenia at Aulis goes from arriving with her daughter Iphigenia to be married off to the great hero and by the end she's realized in fact her daughter is going to be sacrificed so that the wind will take the fleet uh, over to Troy. So it's a bad day for her. I'm <laughs> to say it's a bad day. And um, I think I learned most doing that. I look back on playing her as a turning point for me mm. in how you play and stop trying to get it right and just play. Absolutely. Um, yeah, just as a last question, um, you know, uh, we're all very looking forward to seeing Watching the Wine. And um, what do you hope audiences will take away from seeing the show too? I think, I'm sure, they will think about our lives and our situation now. I think they will be quite thoughtful, but also encouraged, I hope, and having had quite a good time. Kate Duchenne, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's been lovely talking to you.